Welcome to the IFC's first episode of The Magician's Call. We have a very special episode for you. We are starting a new series with Dr. Lahab Al-Samurai and special guest Lance Allred, the first deaf NBA player. Throughout this series, we will discuss Lance's experiences in life, archetypes, and much, much more. We're excited to have you on this journey with us. So without any further ado, Dr. Al-Samurai, take it away. Welcome back to another episode of the IFC's Individuation Podcast. We have a special episode today. Um, Lance Allred is with us today. Um, he's going to be uh, joining us for the special podcast that we're producing. Um, he's going to, he's named it. <laughs> it's already come. Um, so I'm going to let him talk about the name. I'm going to let him introduce himself. I think everybody knows me by now. I'm always here, but um, Lance, introduce yourself to our listeners. And well, thank you, Dr. Lahab. I don't know if I can take full credit for the name. It was us kind of brainstorming, mm. but the magician's call. Mm. Um, with my background growing up in a polygamous commune and being legally deaf with 80% hearing loss due to the RH factor, um, life has given me context of extremes from an extreme religion and then breaking away from that religious sect to then becoming the first legally deaf player in the NBA. Again, that's another extreme of what is masculinity, what is success, yes. capitalism, Western systems. And through those experiences and stumbling out of the wilderness uh, like um, magicians do, Merlin and all, um, I have always been observant of human body language. Ooh. And I used to call them personas until, um, or avatars actually, before you know, I started reading from Carolyn Mace and other people and then Young about archetypes. Ooh. But with my hearing loss being raised in rural Montana where there were no amenities to learn sign language and then being just catapulted into the speaking world, made to wear hearing aids, made to be in speech therapy till I was 16. Um, I have- It must have been very difficult for you, Lance. It was, um, but I look back with gratitude that I can say it, at a very early age, it gave me a high threshold for discomfort. Mm. That most people say they want their dreams to come true. They want the happy American story. They want to vibrate and transform at such a high level but a lot of people no matter which um niche of belief or systems that they're in they think they should get it easy they think that the law of attraction says that if i just wish for a pony a pony will appear mm. that's not how it works mm. the law of attraction is grit mm. is how how much endurance and how much discomfort can you withstand as life continues to put you through the refiner's fire, mm. uh, burning and peeling away identities and personas that no longer serve you. And as a child at a young age, being born into a culture where my grandfather was considered the prophet, and he was assassinated four years before I was born, but I was still raised in his utopian dream and his largesse and the weight that it carried to quote, being all red. Um, but then also being told or impressed upon me that I, that God had made me deaf as a form of punishment. I'm living in a world of extreme dichotomies right away 
not only the hearing world versus the silent world that I'm in straddling, I've never quite fit in the hearing world. I've never quite fit in the deaf world because I'm not fluent in sign language either. That I've learned at a very early age to be a bridge and juggle multiple modalities, juggle multiple um, beliefs or contradicting beliefs if need they be. That, you know, growing up in polygamy, it could be like, oh, you know, lying is a sin, right? That's what the devil attempts us to do, to lie. But the, when someone asks us if we're polygamists, we have to lie. Mm. You know, lie in the name of the Lord. And so at a very early age, I was contorted into these mental gymnastics as a kid. But while doing that, in the silent world, I would just sit and watch people mm. and recognize their body types and how mm. their body communicates. Because words can lie. And I learned that very early. Words can lie, but the body never lies. Mm. and so even what did, though, you, start, what did you start noticing first what was the first thing that you picked up that you said wait there's something right here what is that um you know i would say i began to recognize patterns and just how one that even though I don't always hear everything, I recognize communication styles that people usually ask and communicate and formulate patterns like, hello, how are you? What's your name? How tall are you? Et cetera, et cetera. That I figured out that people come approach me in a very systematic way. And I mm -hmm. recognize these patterns that is almost like on a broken record and how I learned to decipher and communicate that people think I hear better than I do, but it's not really, it's just because I know what they're already going to ask me. And then taking account with that, having 400 first cousins in my polygamous commune, that you have this rich plethora of characters and archetypes that my father was a history teacher and he raised me early on with Roman and Greek mythology. And I just began to recognize the Saturn archetype, the Zeus or Jupiter archetype, mm. the Pluto or Hades archetype. And I would recognize these things. And I always felt kind of like, you know, mm, I feel like the Greek myths aren't to be taken literally like we Mormons do with our religious beliefs. And it was confirmed to me one day when I was playing basketball in Greece. And I asked a guy at the Acropolis, I'm like, so what was it for you growing up with the Greek myths? And he was so confused. I'd like, and he just shrugged and says, we're but the same characters. Mm. And it's just confirmed to me, bam, I'm not crazy. I'm not in the Truman Show. Mm. Because even when I would leave my polygamous commune as a kid, and we go to Missoula, Montana, the big scary city of 80,000 people, right? And I would recognize people moving the same way. I'm like, why does this guy at the checkout stand remind me of my cousin James back in Pinesdale? Yeah. They're moving exactly the same. Oh, they're both very Saturnian. Mm. To have the long, gaunt face, very sallow look, tall, long. Um, and you just kind of recognize these patterns and, and the body types, but then also how the body types interact with other archetypes. Mm. And so from an early age, I just, in this quiet world that I live in, um, I just began to recognize these things. Mm. It's fascinating. It's um, the movement of the energies through the world, the archetypal energies, the way they move and weave in the world is a preset pattern. Mm -hmm. So I think, we, so for those who missed some of what Lance or didn't quite get what Lance was talking about, so he could look out into the world and see them and knows if they're gonna go left or right. <laughs> that's, yeah. 
that that's kind of a I'm not I'm not sure if I'm that predetermined. Well, you do do I it on the court though. I do on the court. I would do so that. Tell this us about that a little bit. That I got so good that whenever I joined a new team, I could walk into any locker room. I could tell right away that guy's never going to pass the ball. He's a ball hog. He's going to shoot it every time. This guy's the coach's pet. He's a, this guy's afraid to make a mistake. This guy doesn't want to shoot the ball. I could tell right away who was what. And all these teams have very similar roles that keep repeating all around the globe. And on the basketball court, that allowed me with, I couldn't play with my hearing aids and due to sweat and concussion issues that I could, with peripheral vision, you just recognize the patterns and how the body language is speaking that I could tell if someone was preparing to get the ball, if the play was designed for them, that allowed me to cheat and help on defense and be a bit more ahead of the game in that regard. So you are accurate in some way, yes. So you're actually, you're not, you're not waiting for any verbal instructions you're already in the position before the verbal instructions are given and everybody moves towards that position. You're already there. You're a step or two ahead of where they're going to be. Yes. And it's funny that, you know, I wasn't the most athletic guy, but also that also allowed the people to say that I wasn't athletic because I wasn't always zigzagging across the court because I knew where to be ahead of time that it looked like I wasn't exerting that much energy. Mm. But I would tell people part of working hard is working smart. Mm. That again, is not just about burning calories and running hundred miles per hour. It's about efficiency in the time that we're given. Correct. And so in that regard, I've been able to take my skills of being able to watch the basketball court. And I played it like a game of chess, mm. just recognizing, okay, who has the skills to, um, uh, make this play, but then who is the right person to assign on defense for that? And who is the kryptonite to this player, et cetera, et cetera. But that's now what I've been doing for the last seven years as a keynote speaker, but also a corporate consultant mm. that I go into these team settings. And instead of me trying to, I tell these CEOs, Hey, look, I can raw raw people and beat them over the head and try to get them to buy into your value system. Mm. But that's not how it works. The good coaches, whether it's Greg Popovich, Mike Krzyzewski, even though they are hardliners, they've had to learn to adapt to <coughs> generations and different personalities depending on Uranus and Pluto because they're different generational planets. <coughs> they bring different archetypes into the field that these coaches were savvy enough to realize they have to adapt to. That we grew up in the Cold War era where there was this false machoism where I talk about in the book, The New Alpha Male, where a lot of these people are like, oh, the world's gone soft now. I'm going to hold on to the old values and die on this hill. And what I say, you know what's soft? The inability to adapt. Because mm. as Darwin said, it's not the strongest or the smartest that survive, it's those who are most willing to adapt. Right. And that's very much Pluto archetype. Mm. And Pluto wasn't necessarily big and strong like Zeus. He wasn't necessarily <laughs> the, the trickster that Neptune or Poseidon was, but he had the highest threshold for discomfort, hence why he was overlord of Hades. Mm. Uh, his ability to continually go through the refiner's fire and step into Phoenix energy mm. is why he's the most dangerous of all the brothers, mm. the sons of Saturn. And I can tell these CEOs- Hades, right? Hades, Pluto. Yep. This is why this is why Zeus gave him the underworld because he didn't want him yep. near him. Exactly. He wanted him very far away. Yes. 
Hades, Pluto is the, and here's the thing, most people are terrified of the Pluto archetype, mm. but he is the brutality of nature. That's mm. Pluto. When you see the lion kill the baby zebra, that's Pluto. But also Pluto is the biker gang that rides through town. If you're friendly to them, they'll give you the shirt off their back. Mm. But if you cross them, they'll cut you up into a thousand pieces like Pluto did his father. And that's Pluto archetype. And a lot of people are drawn to it. Women are actually drawn to Pluto archetype because they like some of the danger. And we can get all triggered by that, but there's truth to it. Mm. And yet they stick around the fire long enough and they get burnt. And then they say, oh, why did it happen to me? Because so many people in the victim, child, or saboteur archetype will usually say, but I was supposed to be the exception. And learning from my father as a history teacher, he taught me very early, we study his history not to learn from other people's mistakes. Mm. To learn not to repeat other people's mistakes, I would correct myself. So that I learned very early not to ever think I was an exception to the rule. Mm. And yet everyone wants to think that somehow they're special enough to be the exception. Mm. And we see this in the saboteur archetype. But also, um, there is some of it in the child who thinks, again, that I am the center of the world, that everything revolves around me, I always get my way. But then you also see in the victim who's been hurt, and they demand, they think they're entitled to their pound of flesh. And in their effort to um, get retribution and even the scales, they move into entitlement, and they continue to inflict more harm on themselves, because they have moved into hubris with their entitlement. And so these are things that I learned as a kid, applying the psychology of archetypes into history, as I became a history and English major in college, thanks to my father steering me that way. And now quickly just going back to the team concepts with coaches and CEOs, is I just tell them, people aren't interested in your value system. They're interested to know if they're actually seen. And are you able to figure out which archetypes are in your team and how can you best utilize them? And so that's what I do at a professional level at the corporate setting now, on, aside from my own private retreats and the keynote speaking. Well, you're a very busy man. So we always enjoy uh, having people like yourself to illuminate us because you um, have had experiences that many of our listeners have not. I mean, you grew up in a very interesting way in a very complicated society with a lot of complicated people. Mm -hmm. It sounds like um, the extended family was complicated and yes. you were able to figure out something that um, historians have been writing about for um, ages, but can't really kind of pin it down. There's something they can't see mm -hmm. and you can see what they couldn't see. You could see the physical movement of it in the world in the way that only you could have. I think part of it is the loss of hearing. Mm -hmm. I think that was a big thing because it gave your other senses a very different way of interpreting the world. You know, we learned that the five senses actually function um, pretty much the same. Yeah. And if one function is gone, um, like Lance, yeah, the hearing part is gone. The other senses take over to compensate for that yeah. sense that is lost. So yeah. you continue to have the power 
of the five senses, but now I'm four. Yeah. So it's kind of heightened, right? Yes. So t- tell me, tell me about that a little bit. Tell our listeners about that, how that, how that works for you or doesn't. Um, yeah. Thing is, <laughs> a lot of people ask me with technology now, don't you want to get the new really deep inner ear hearing gauge where you can hear all the time, 24 seven with six month long batteries. And I'm like, actually, no, Mm. I like my lifestyle. As a kid, I thought it was a curse because I was different. I had the speech impediment. I was a huge target of bullying, um, dealt with suicidal depression as a kid um, that I just wanted to be normal. But with that chip on my shoulder and trying to, quote, be normal, I kept overcompensating and kept falling on the fringes, always missing the mark, jumping over mediocre. I could never quite land a mediocre Dr. Lahav as much as I tried. Mm. And I kept the more and more hours I kept investing, the more and more outlier I became and trying to fit into this world that really with my size at six to 11, I was not made to fit in this world. Mm. And as much as I wanted to shrink my size, because I felt I was responsible for everyone's triggers that I trigger people just by my size alone, let alone the magician archetype and other things mm. uh, I learned through hard knocks that I'm not responsible for people's triggers. If the victim and the child are lashing out at me subconsciously, Mm. when I am doing my best to move about with integrity and compassion and accountability, and yet I'm still triggering people, I'm not responsible for that. Mm. But those are hard lessons learned when, as you say, the senses kick in, you got the sense of feel is sky high. Yes. That I don't sleep well because I will wake at the slightest vibration. Yeah. Because my sense of sight is gone and my sense of hearing is always gone. That, that Now I'm on high alert. Mm. But my ability to feel what people are feeling and again, what their body is telling me, that's what allowed me to be a team captain on all these teams all around the world having played for 10 years on every continent. That transcending language barriers, my ability to see what that human heart is feeling, allowing me to just meet them in their humanity and let them know that I actually cared because people don't care if you're the smartest person in the room. Mm. They care if you care. Mm. That's all they really want to know. Yeah. Have you possibly even walked a, an inch in my shoes? Mm. And as painful as it was through these rites of passage or refiner's fire, whichever you want to call it, that I have enough, quote, intersectionality in my life mm. with a disability with um, communication issues, mm. but then playing in all these cultures where as a white basketball player, mm. I am a minority. Mm. And then playing in foreign countries where I don't have many rights at all. Mm. Um, I could very easily go and say, oh yeah, I, I, I power through or everyone needs to man up and like, no. Or I can say, wow, I was just pulled over by a police officer in Venezuela and I actually felt scared for my life mm. as you took all my money. Mm. And I could say, wow, that must really suck to be a citizen of your own country mm. and have that happen to you and mm. be afraid when the police yeah. pull you over. That allows me to have compassion for people. Yeah. Now, again, triggers. A lot of people, uh, I had a brilliant podcast about toxic masculinity on Mormon stories. And I got a lot of messages and comments that people say, oh, great. Just what well, we need another white guy talking about toxic masculinity. <laughs> And it's like, well, I triggered what's wrong, you. What's wrong with the white guy talking about toxic backslid? Exactly. Because yeah. I triggered, I triggered uh, some women because they're not 
appreciative of white men right now mm. and they think that we're all one and the same mm. but that is the victim archetype mm. thinking that they are moving into warrior and you know this mm. most warriors are faux warriors that are just a victim wearing an overly uh oversized warrior archetype mm. that i can recognize right away you're acting like you're a warrior or you're a goddess but i actually see the victim lashing out yeah. And that's what I, a lot of people don't appreciate how blunt I am with them, but I don't have that much time. I meet them with compassion. But the real question is, are you actually wanting to heal? Are you wanting to move into your empowered archetypes yeah. that I can look at your astrological will and tell you which is the best quote fashion for you to wear? Because mm. you know, there are some people that try to wear fashion styles and show up to the party that you just flinch and you're like, those clothes do not fit you. That's they're usually, they're usually warriors. Exactly. Those who can't dress themselves are warriors. <laughs> my father is a warrior. My, yeah. my, my mother had to, uh, he had to check in with her every time he put tie on because he would put mm -hmm. like these ridiculous ties on and he would yeah. go, how about this one? She goes, no, the shirt and tie go. You have to put on different shirts. <laughs> so she would get up out of bed, get him shirt and tie and say here because he has no sense yeah. That, that shift and tie don't go. He just mm -hmm. doesn't see it. He's like, oh, this is green. This is red. Why don't they go together? They don't. <laughs> so that is what humans do at the archetypal level. Mm. They see the CEO or the king mm. and they think that anyone can be king. Yes. No. Yeah. We all have to know our archetypal roles and our talents because if everyone is trying to be king, you wouldn't have Camelot. Exactly. You have to have the king, you have to have the prince, you have to have the knights, you have to have the wizards, you have to have the exchequer, you have to have the queen, you have to have the richness of the archetypes to have a full Camelot. Mm. And yet with social media, everyone's selling these one dimensional ideas of success. Mm. They think I have to be the king, I have to be the CEO. And I tell you, sorry, you can try to be the king, but your life is going to be very, very difficult. I, however, can tell you these are your empowered archetypes. And if you want a fulfilling life where you have found your lane and your niche and you are just grooving, these are the archetypes that you have been coded for in this matrix. Yeah. But if you don't want to listen to me, I'm not going to tell you what you can and can't do. Well, a lot of public speakers possible. are what they do is they preach their archetype. Yes. So a lot of people sit there as like, I don't know how to do that. How do you do that? do that? Teach me how to do that. that they are in the world. wrong place because the public speaker is not like they're peddling anything they don't really believe or right. it's a lie. It's not a lie. They just don't see the other archetypes sitting around right. going, what the hell are you talking about? Exactly. And so I will tell you, this is why I have not intentionally meant to, but I have made quite a few enemies in the public speaking circuit mm. because so much of my message is, guys, I got to the MBA. I'll tell you the inspiring story of how I got there. But once I got there, there was a message in my head, a creaking as I was shooting six uh, free throw in front of 16,000 people. And it was a sinister question to ask, is this it? Mm. Is this the best that it gets? Because mm. I didn't feel any different because I was still playing basketball. One, validation, recognition. I still had the fear that God was angry with me. I had to do something superhuman to be worthy of love. But also the magician in me liked the challenge of people telling me what I can and can't do and watch me. I'm going to go do it anyway as the first league of death player. Mm. But I got there and my worth was nowhere to be found. 
And so while I do go and I do give the keynotes and I like it, yes, there are some charlatan speakers that are peddling their wares. And there are some well-to-do, meaning to well-to-do speakers that are really trying to help people. But to your point, they think their formula is a one-size-fits-all formula. And it's not. What I sell, I sell my principles of perseverance, but the final one is self-actualization, becoming a leader of your own life, which requires you to be brave enough to step out of a system and build your own that's customized specifically for you. It's embracing your energy and becoming a part of who your energy is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so learning through beautiful ways of communicating this with people who are ready to hear it, The archetypes are how the universe communicates with itself. That the universe asked itself a question a long time ago. Who am I? The same question we ask ourselves all the time. Who am I? And yet we're just doing it on a micro level, giving the universe knowledge of its own self through the human condition as we engage with itself with archetypes. So we've never talked about this. But what I say is, The archetypes need us for consciousness. Hmm. They have no consciousness of their own. They need us out in the world to see how the world reacts because they are eternal, Mm -hmm. because they are from the beginning of time. They are gods. They They don't know what the experience is. So the experience of the individual is what communicates to the universe. I like how you put it. And it's like an echo. Who am I? And it's like, it goes all the way Back to all source. over the universe. It's the yes. same echo. We have the same echo. And the universe is haunted with that same question. And yeah. so when people think God is finite or the universe is finite, that defies what it does, mm. expand contrast. Mm. That the universe is in this perpetual dialogue asking the question, who am I? Mm. And that makes a lot of people scary because they want stability. They want comfort. They want to know what the rules are. Mm. But the beautiful thing is, as you know, when you step into the unknown, that's where the magic of life happens. Mm. As uncomfortable as it is, as much as you risk safety and security, you learn through hard knocks that security is just an illusion. Mm. That our grandparents lived their whole lives without health insurance. Mm. And yet somehow we're now entitled to it because that Mm. makes us feel more safe. Trust me, if I had health insurance, I wouldn't feel any more safe than I already do. No, not with the current medical system. No, I don't. No, not with the current medical system. (laughs) Not at all. I'd rather have different insurance. (laughs) Absolutely. But living all around the world for 10 years is like, you know what? I trust as my father, I lost my father three months ago to Alzheimer's. He did everything he could to live a healthy life. He was 69 years old that there are no guarantees. But that's what the athlete is teaching us in the moment. When we love to watch our sporting events, we root for LeBron. He made the great instinct to play. The play was broken, but he picked up the loose ball. He still went and flushed it. Good job, LeBron. It was an volatile, unknown, tenuous situation. And yet you still have the gumption and the grit to take the initiative and go do something with it. That's what the athlete is teaching us in every single moment. And yet most fans are missing that message with the CEOs on the front row with their beer cheering for the athlete saying, great play, man. You know what? You didn't even think about it. You just went and did it. But then the next day they'll show up to work and hamstring their employees and say, well, what did the stats say? Yeah. The athlete, yes, stats inform us. They give us some idea, but they don't drive us. Ever that we ended at the end of the day. They show patterns. They don't show the reality of the pattern. They show patterns 
what is missing is the person in the pattern. Yes. The person in the pattern can change the pattern. Absolutely. You know, generationally and like you, you change the pattern, you change the template by sitting there and going, I have to figure this shit out. You change the template. Everybody that was projecting shit on you suddenly yeah. couldn't hold it on you anymore because you were showing them, hey, and what's it? Well, the other part before before I forget, you lived all over the world. You played with different teams. Yes. It's got to be fascinating that you could see the same patterns in different oh, yeah. countries across the globe. Oh, and yeah. it's like, well, Lance, you've just been here for a week. Why do you know all the shit that you know? You don't even speak language. I don't. <laughs> uh, but it was learning, learning at your point, the archetypes are universal. Culture yes. is temporary. Yes. And yet when people say, is, does heaven exist? What they're really asking is, do I get to take my culture with me? Mm. And that is our comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Culture is our biggest blind spot. I don't approach people through politics or religion, but through mm -hmm. culture. Mm -hmm. Having played in every continent around the world, that everyone and their mother thinks their values are the best values. Of course. And yet if everyone's saying that, it's a wash. So it becomes akin to our brain is a hard drive. And yet the culture we're born into is a software operating system mm -hmm. that's installed into our hard drive that, oh, I'm a Macintosh. Mm. Japanese people are Microsoft. Mm. They're operating a different algorithm and value system than me. Mm. Oh, but that's a stupid system. They must be inferior to me. You know? And so that's what people do, whether they're arguing about Mac versus Android or American culture versus Russian culture. Mm. That's what we do because we want to believe our system is the best because otherwise everything is so unsure of ourselves going up in a polygamous cult I saw most of it was psychological, that mm. people wanted to believe that they were special, that it wasn't about, are we going to make the world a better place? It's, am I God's chosen person? Mm. Does God know my name personally? Mm. Am I important enough that I get to go to the highest degree of glory in heaven? Mm. That I want to know what exactly is going to happen to me mm. when we die. And so failing to understand that culture is so much of a product of our generational ancestry, trauma, our mm. geography, Talk about Mormon culture, where I come from. Mormonism is so interwoven with the myth of the American dream and mm. pioneer mentality and being able to rough it on your own in the frontier, in the mountains. So our mountain geography also has a huge weight on our cultural value system. Mm. And our culture, therefore, is tied directly to planet Earth. Mm. Culture does not translate to universal or cosmic language. Mm. Archetypes do. And so playing in all these cultures around the world, I could see that these archetypes were still transcending cultural values. And that's where I could meet people at. Yeah. So the archetypes, the archetypes for those who are listening in are the energies that basically create and move everything that we see around us from the trees to the animals, to whatever is living, breathing, the archetype has a hand in it. Mm -hmm. It looks, so that's why certain animals behave a certain way. Yes. Those are called archetypal energies. So you could see a herd of zebras, the way they're going to act and react to being out of the wild. Mm -hmm. Or unfortunately, we've killed off most, most of the animal species right. on this planet. So we don't really have the ability to see that as we should. 
in the wild so we could like observe what they're doing. We have them in zoos, which is basically a prison for those who have done nothing. So it's very hard to tell what they are, except they're depressed. You tell when the animals are depressed, they're being held uh, against their will. But in the wild, when you see them, you see how the lions move in a pack. You see how the zebras move in a pack. You see the tigers, you see the elephants, and each archetype carries that sway. You see the, mm -hmm. you see the big elephant, the elephant is huge but yeah. it has a memory of thousands of years. It's an amazing memory that it has. It does not forget anything, right? right? So you have, uh, you know, so each way of us, the way we move in the world, as Lance is talking about, is um, based on this archetypal energy. And I think um, those who are asking, am I the favorite to God? Am I gonna be in God's graces? This is the energy. The energy does not, number one law of thermodynamics is energy can neither be created nor destroyed. Mm -hmm. It lives forever. This is what it is. And it transforms. So when you die, you transform. Mm -hmm. Your physical body, your husk goes, or as Lance likes to put it, the avatar mm -hmm. is recycled. Yes. The energy <laughs> also keeps moving. Yes. So this moves in that uh simulation theory every religion in the world fits in simulation theory okay. simulation theory is a theory that as video games become more and more lifelike mm. who's to say we're not in someone else's video game video game and so even if you're in the mormon plan of salvation the structure of how we were children before we came to this earth we came here to get a body and be resurrected into another body and go to another world that fits in simulation theory that my higher consciousness or my soul Ooh. has uh, certain archetypes that are always tra travels with cosmically through the world. And right. that gamer is now has me as an avatar in this, in this lifetime, even though there's past lives, incarnations in different iterations in different cultures that the magician archetype or the spirit animal of the raven. So spirit animals are important as Dr. Lahab is saying, your spirit animal, if you feel a connection to a certain animal, we can say, oh, they're dumb, they're primal, but their archetypal energy and the animal you're drawn to will tell you a lot about your empowered archetypes that you're not recognizing as you attempt to move out of the victim or the child or saboteur or prostitute archetypes. Mm. Um, which are now, shadow archetypes. So what? Which are shadow archetypes. The shadow of the survivor archetype. The, the most of the world. The shadow of the... Uh, the puer, the shadow of the eternal youth, the shadow, yes. the shadow of the lover is the prostitute. The right. shadow of the eternal child is an angry uh, victim. Oh, yeah, the wounded child. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so the world operates. Most of the world operates unconsciously um, when they're vibrating at the lower frequency. And I tell everyone, they would say, oh, astrology, can you tell me if I'm compatible with this person? Mm. And I said, that's not what we're focusing on. Mm. Once you become aware of your own blind spots, it's not about finding your soulmate that's going to be okay with your bullshit. Mm. It's about, am I brave enough to look at my bullshit and transcend it and move into the empowered archetypes, moving out of the victim, the child, the saboteur, mm. and other shadow archetypes? Mm. And a lot of people don't want that because it requires a lot of hard work and it requires accountability and it requires constant growth, 
when instead it's like, oh, well, I'm just perfect as I am and my soulmates out there and they're never going to force me to grow. Mm -hmm. So when I hear people talk about soulmates, what I'm really hearing is them saying, I don't want to have to communicate. Mm. I don't want to have to have uncomfortable conversations that force me to reflect on my own bullshit, my own triggers, and what I'm bringing into this relationship. Mm. And so these are important values. Uh, this is the value of archetypes. Mm. Uh, when you begin to see the world this way, it also becomes less personal. Mm. That when people hurt you, you, not that it's okay what they do, never. We can be victimized but doesn't mean it have to mean I'm a victim. Yeah. What I challenge people with all the time is which archetype is telling your story? Mm. Which archetype is joining the storyteller mm. that is trying to tell your story? Most people want to be in the victim. Something bad happened to me. I'm owed something. The victim transforms if someone's brave enough into the teacher. Mm. The victim takes from people empathy, pity, attention. The teacher gives they transmute their pain and sorrow into wisdom and they give it back out to the world. Mm. And so I work with a lot of people who get triggered and move into reaction. Reaction, again, is when you're unconscious, when the four survivor archetypes are behind the will and you're not even conscious of what you're doing and you're doing unconscionable mm. things. And it's about getting people to stop and move into a place of response. Because when the athlete is in the zone, as people like to call it, when they're on fire, their brain is off. That they have moved into complete surrender and flow, and they have accepted the situation what is, that they're no longer aiming their shots. When you're aiming, you're in your head. When you are in the body, in the heart space, which is where the archetypes actually shine through, the heart space, not the head, that's when you're in the zone and you're just dancing with life, and that's what the athletes are showing us. And when you're brave enough to do that, that's when you begin to have much more intimate relationships because every relationship is then just you having a direct one-on-one -on -one conversation with the universe. Mm. And you're just doing it back and that you're just now the universe having a conversation with its own self, helping fulfill its first existential question, who am I? Mm. I love the question of who am I? Because, you know, as kids, we always ask that question. That's mm -hmm. the first question when we start to like um, notice that we exist in the world. Mm -hmm. um, who am I? Where am I going? What am I doing? Why am I doing this? Why am I here? All these questions of existence, all these questions mm -hmm. of um, consciousness. Yes. It's the first forms of consciousness. And I, I love that you say it's like a, um, so it's like an echo in the universe. It is. I think that is that is the question. When people say, what are we doing here? I, mm. I, you can answer it back with the question. Mm. Answering the question, who am I? Yeah, That's our job in this life is to figure out who am I, which is then helping the universe move into more clarity with its own self in this, whatever you want to call it, this great big cosmic joke. Mm. But that's when the beautiful, um, the fool, the beautiful fool is one of my favorite archetypes mm. that, the beautiful fool is the one that time and time again goes through heartache and pain, but chooses to get up each time and keep playing on. It is the wildflowers that come back up in the spring, even though they know they're going to die, yet they'll keep coming back. 
And the beautiful fool keeps choosing to reincarnate brave enough to ask the question, who am I? Mm. That's a foolish thing to do. Mm. So there's beauty in that. And that is one of the main driving archetypes of the universe because the universe itself is the greatest fool of all. Mm. Yes, because the fool can't see themselves. They need other fools to see them. Can you see me? Can you see me? So you look around and you can't see it. What are we talking about today? What, what are we talking about? What is Lance talking about today? What is these energies, these powers that move through the universe and how do we spot them? What, how, what, what does he mean by, I see them on the court. I, I watch them as they move. What he is talking about is the patterns that we have in patterns is everything. So pattern recognition in the world is everything, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody works off pattern recognition. The cops work off pattern recognition. How does this look? Where did it come from? What did they do? Have they done it before? Pattern recognition. The doctors work off pattern recognition. What is this disease? How does it work? How do we treat it? Pattern recognition, right? The athlete works off pattern recognition. How does this guy move? How does that guy move? But Lance is talking about a depth to the recognition that it's on a higher order. He is looking exactly at the energies, the way the universe moves us. So not only is it a pattern that he's recognizing, what he's recognizing is that the universe is moving in a particular way to gain consciousness, consciousness of itself, consciousness of the other, which it can't seem to get that it's not conscious, it's eternal. So when in the the Bible they ask you, I ask the Lord Almighty, who are you? I am who I am. The, the energy does not know what you're asking. Mm-hmm. It exists. It has existed since the beginning of time. You have a very short run on this planet as a physical body or as Lance likes to call it, the avatar. I call it the husk or the skin, whatever you want to call it. But this is what we're talking about is that this thing doesn't last very long. It's breakable, it's damageable, it could die. It doesn't live very long. It has a short period of time on the planet, but its ability to see and then reflect on itself. Did I do that? You're, you're talking for the universe. The universe needs to hear that because it doesn't know that's doing that. This is a fascinating conversation. I, um, so the reason we're calling it the magician's call is we're going to talk about each archetypal structure in the coming episodes, where we're going to explain what the archetypal structure is, how it looks like. Um, Lance is going to share his book. That is, uh, he's going to share parts of it anyway. It's not published yet, but he's going to share parts of it and his ideas about what and how we're going to see the world and i think this is going to be a fascinating conversation Mm -hmm. Um, and we're going to explore the concept of the magician the magician is one of the most fascinating archetypes because one yes we do create create magic but the magician is also in many ways uh similar to shapeshifter that as we talked about before dr lahab there were magicians at nasa that helped build the space shuttle to help get us to the moon Mm -hmm. it wasn't all just singular science uh scientist uh archetypes 
there were magicians who were hiding, blending amongst them, mm. helping them move and sprinkle a little magic and fairy dust. Just like army, every organized structure, every major movement, um, you have to have the leader, you have to have the pioneer, the champion, the herald, the crier, um, the, the knights, the, the grunts, all, you have to have all of them, but there always has to be the magician mm. that is working behind the scenes that is usually unrecognized, mm. that is able to allow these things to manifest into actual material vibration in this dimension, in this frequency. Mm. And so as we talk about the magician, it will allow us to then explore the each archetype because the magician knows each one very intimately because mm. the magician has had to shapeshift into them to help them fulfill their destiny and what they're able to do on this planet. So the, the magician if, um, is the cosmos's way of keeping the scales from tipping. Yes. The magicians are on this planet to keep things running as they should. That no, um, there is an unbalance or an imbalance in archetypal energies. We have chaos, we have wars, we have destruction, we have, uh, we have fires, we have people fighting and screaming at each other when the archetypal energies are disrupted and there isn't balance in the world. The magicians are the ones who bring in balance. Now, there are also dark magicians who create havoc across yes. the world. And we know them by different names. We know them by different faces. They have committed atrocities. They have, they have pushed people over the edge. But at yes. the same time, that is the shadow element of the magician. The real, the real job of the magician or the real destiny of any magician is to um, help the balance, to keep the balance. That's why they, are, they see the unseen. Yes. I would say on top of that, keeping the balance that the magician then allows or creates... Um, portals or entryways for the oneness to always shine through mm. uh, the oneness of the source and that is sorcerer sorcery mm. magician work yes that that's our job to bring balance to ease the tension of polarity polarity is important because it does bring contrast that's what makes pictures beautiful contrasting colors that's what makes our lives beautiful the pain and the heartache then allows yes. the triumphs to be beautiful yes. and you have to have the contrast when you're asking the question who am i because you're then able to see what characters or archetypes show up in situations of extreme stress mm. pressure or duress mm. but when torsion gets too high mm. and you have the shadow magicians running a lot of the propaganda from the Inquisition to then the uh, Age of Enlightenment and the Protestant Reformation, where they then went after, after the witches and the magic. That was dark sorcery posing as left brain linear logic to wipe out a lot of the original purity of sorcery. Mm. And now we're at a precipice again where the contrast is so high that magician archetypes are now being activated to step into the forefront and restore balance. People mm. say, oh, you know, you're so, you're not committing to a side. Mm. <laughs> like, you can't commit no. to a side. <laughs> I'm like, I'm committing to the side of good, 
We're the universe. We're committed to the size of the universe. I'm committed committed to the side of the universe. But I also have learned through history, but also my own life experiences, that retribution does not bring about justice. Retribution only keeps the scales of extremism activated. That compassion is what is called for from those who have been most wrong. Those who have been most wrong have been given the pain, but also the sacred duty to be brave enough to stop just short of an eye for an eye Mm. and bring in the lover, but also the eternal child and to bring in um, the Messiah to be brave enough to keep the heart open when the heart's been contorted through trauma and say, I am brave enough to stop the cycle, Mm. stop this pattern of violence generationally, culturally, tribally, whichever one it is, that Mm. says, I am brave enough to absorb the blow and Mm. transmute it Mm. and end the cycle of retribution. Mm. And that's what a lot of magicians are also doing in many ways. A lot of us have trauma through Mm. past lives, being burned, killed, or whatnot, that we bring that trauma with us. And I've had to tell myself Mm. many, many times, I am safe in my body in Mm. this world. Even though as a gladiator, modern day gladiator in gladiator arenas, I didn't always feel safe in my body. Mm. It's amazing that I would have been attracted to that professional career Mm. to amplify the deep subconscious story Mm. for many iterations that this world is not a safe place, Mm. that I would choose such a hostile environment to Mm. bring up that story that I'm now in a safe place to address it and help this world move into a more galactic or cosmic vibration. Because how I see the world, and people ask what we're doing here again, I'll give another idea of what I see. When you look at the universe from a wide lens shot, mm. the galaxies the galaxies connecting look like synapses in the brain. Correct. And so it looks like a human brain. Exactly. And so all we are is vibrating on a different scale or frequency in someone else's brain who may be vibrating on someone else's brain. Talk about Jacob's ladder in the seven degrees and yes. seven notes, seven colors, seven chakras, et cetera, et cetera. The icy planet Earth as a possibly cancerous cell is turned is a tumor right now. And the question is, is it going to go dark or are we going to heal it? Mm. And so a lot of antibodies positive souls are converging here on this planet to then begin to raise it at a higher vibration radiation therapy to kill off the cancerous cells it's still unknown nothing is given that's the beauty of the unknown here in this life that everything can't possibly be predetermined because that would therefore not allow for agency to happen be the universe the universe never predetermines anything because it's Mm. still moving you're still asking, who the yeah. hell am I? Who am I? So exactly. there's nothing predetermined. It, ke- it keeps happening over and over again until the universe finds out what is going on. Yeah. But meantime, you're talking about the vibration. I like this idea of the vibration because we know that energy moves as a wave. Mm-hmm. Right? So, for instance, when you find something out, the universe has just told you. You go, oh, I should do that. The wave has already hit you. You're way behind the wave. The wave has moved. (laughs) You have an idea. It's like, wow, Mm -hmm. I really need to do that. The wave has already passed. (laughs) So that that vibration, that that sound, that movement is what is waking up a lot of people, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of magicians, 
across the land. So those who are afraid, they don't need to be. They need to learn more about the energy itself. And this is what me and Lance are gonna go into is what is this energy? What is this energy of the magician? How does it resonate with different people across the world? How, how is it developed? When do you become conscious of it? How much pain you have to suffer before you're conscious of it? Maybe we could, I don't know if that's part of the universe's plan, but I think it's waking us up. I think there's a, there is a question, something, we need to do something to help, whatever that is. I would uh, give out this call that if you're asking what a magician is and are you a magician, if you are someone that has continually triggered people, that has continually been exiled, ostracized from other systems, mm. from other tribes, mm. that at first you felt you had found a home, but then we're no longer welcome. This has happened to me at the early age in our polygamous cult with my father, who was a magician. And then I move into the basketball culture where I have been dismissed from so many tribal systems. Mm. At first, the coach thought I was the, uh, uh, you know, the team captain. Mm. And I was on most of my teams. But once they found out I was no longer their yes man, I never was going to be their yes man. Mm. Magicians are not yes men. Mm that you speak inconvenient truths, that's when the magician bringing in also the philosopher. Philosopher has a very deep marriage with the magician, mm. asking inconvenient questions and speaking inconvenient truths. But also when people say, how did you do that? How did you make that happen? Mm. You just say, I don't know, or I imagined it. Mm. I went and did it. I created it. I created it. Yeah. Yeah, like Socrates. Yes. Socrates was a magician. Yes. That's why the arguments that he put up kept breaking people around him. They couldn't mm -hmm. figure their way out of it. It's like right. he, he threw a bunch of puzzles and they were running around like mice in a puzzle. Mm -hmm. Like it's an experiment. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, so I have loved this. And be, I'm look, really looking forward to this conversation and exploration. That we're I, I'm, I'm enjoying this conversation already. I think we're going to have a great conversation. I see that you're busy and uh, they're calling you. Thank you for your time oh, today. Oh, can you hear my son in the background? No, but I, I, I intuited that it was your son and he wanted to come sit next to you. So if you want to sit next to you, that's fine. Uh, um, hey, Simon, come here really quick, bud. Mm -hmm. If he's still here. So I, th I think hey, Simon, Simon heard the, the magician calling. Okay. What do you, hey, come, come sit with me, bud. All right. What's going on? What do you need? What, how can I help you? Hi, Simon. You can go to Bennett's. Yeah, you can go to Bennett's. I love you, bud. <laughs> yeah. All right. You want to know if you could go play with your friends. So yeah. I apologize for that. Yes, I didn't know. I think, uh, I think we have a young magician who heard his name, said, what are they talking about? Are they talking about me? Yes, he did. Yeah. Who am I? Who am I? Yes. <laughs> I love that question. <laughs> and we will, uh, we will definitely get back to that question uh, next week. We will... Uh, do this again. We're going to expand this conversation to start talking about um, the archetypes and, the, and specifically the uh, archetype of the magician, how it complements the other archetypes, how it shapeshifts through the other archetypes and uses them um, and why it does what it does and how you could recognize your energy, your archetypal patterns um, and how you can uh, become healthier by 
um, seeing your archetypal patterns mm -hmm. and being able to flow within the energy uh, as as Lance put it very eloquently he says um, you're not in yourself you're outside yourself you're not embodied basically you're not you're not sitting within yourself therefore your energy is flying all over the place and you think that you are the energy it's more of this there's a oneness between you and the energy that's when you have an amazing what they call world-class athletes and then there's the other because they sit in their energy like lance world-class but he sits in his energy he knows where the energy is going he knows where he needs to move so the energy is always complementary to your life to who you are as long as you when you're working against it, it could be detrimental to you. Absolutely. Self-destructive. When you're in alignment with you, that's when you move into power. And you have to be careful how we define power. Power over other archetypes or power in that life is now moving through you with ease. That's power. That's amazing. We'll, we'll leave that as our final word. Thank you very much for joining us today for the Magician's Call. Uh, join us again for our second episode of the Magician's Call. We're also going to start teaching an archetypal group with Lance and uh, our friend, our mutual friend, Christy Foster, um, about the archetypes. And Lance is going to be teaching from the book he is publishing. Um, and me and Christy will also be teaching from different books. Uh, we'd love for you to join us uh, for that. But until next time, thanks, Lance. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Dr. Lohab. All right. See you guys next week. Thank you for tuning in to this premiere episode of The Magician's Call. We hope you enjoyed hearing from Dr. Al-Samurai and Lance. We hope you will continue to join us on this journey and throughout this series. If you enjoy the IFC's The Magician's Call podcast, make sure to rate the podcast five stars on iTunes and wherever you get your podcast. See you again next time.